We'll take your Bible this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. I'll remind you again, I think we had some difficulties a while ago, technically, uh, with our live streams. I don't know if that's still going on or not, but if you are hearing me right now, I guess we're back up now. But if we have trouble again, remember that you can get a copy of the sermon later on. We can upload it because it is being recorded. We can upload it to the Internet and or you can get a copy of the DVD later if there's trouble. Or be sure and let other folks know that who don't have internet that we can get them a copy of the, of the service as well. But take your Bible right now and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Somebody mentioned, uh, a couple of people mentioned this week uh, about last Sunday's service. When they watched it, they noticed, uh, commented about how I was able to look around and act as if I was preaching to a crowd. And uh, we do have uh, seven people from our praise team that are very faithful to be here and so I was able to look at them and their smiling faces this morning, and so that helps quite a bit. So, Matthew chapter 27, and the praise, the sound booth guy as well. Sorry, Brother Nick. Yes, he was shrugging his shoulders. Matthew chapter 27, uh, beginning with verse 27. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he could not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Verse 49, but others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Let's pray together again. Father, we bow before you again in the sacred holy ground of your word, gazing upon the cross of Christ. We ask, Father, that these words would affect our hearts fresh and anew. And that we would delight and have joy, a solemn joy, in what took place on that cross. And I pray for those who do not believe the message of the cross and are not trusting alone in what Jesus did, that God, that you would work in their hearts and save their souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is essential? not sick by the way <laughs> I'm just a little emotional here what is essential well that's a question that's been asked an awful lot lately isn't it who is essential coronavirus has led us to redefine to some extent what we think of as essential to reconsider whether or not certain jobs are essential. Some of you have been asked to be at work and stay at work, and some of you have been told you go home, and you've been made to feel as if, okay, I'm not essential. And for some people, some of the things we're doing in the community right now, we're seeing some people not quite keeping that six-foot distance maybe, engaging in activities that we're thinking of as, is that really essential for them to be doing? Suddenly we're asking ourselves our questions like these. My job, is it essential or not? And the abortion industry is being faced with reality from some governors, praise the Lord, that your activity is really not an essential procedure. Which is correct. It's sin. And suddenly we're redefining who our heroes are, aren't we? Those that stock in the grocery shelves and those driving the trucks down the road and the man who picks up the garbage on the street for us. Those standing behind the cash register at the grocery store, paramedics and health care workers. Suddenly we 
are reminded who heroes are. When we look at this passage of Scripture, the way it opens up, really in verse 26, Jesus is considered non-essential by his own people. You've heard this week, some of you, about some cities, some areas where there's jails and overcrowded prisons where prisoners and inmates are being released because of the coronavirus infecting the inmates and also the guards. And so those with a little time left on their sentence or those who've not committed heinous crimes necessarily or their sentence is being shortened or they're being released to go to stay at other places in a self-quarantined environment. And sometimes we may say, well, is it wise to release inmates or is it even just to be doing so? Well, I mentioned that because clearly if you look in your Bible in verse 26, if you're looking at your Bible, what we find here is the release of a prisoner and the retention of one who was considered a criminal but was not. Verse 26 says, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. You see that in verse 26? Released for them Barabbas, Jesus delivered to be crucified. Released for them Barabbas. We're told in one passage of Scripture, a murderer. Another passage of Scripture in the Synoptic Gospels, a robber. Jesus delivered to be crucified. Jesus was considered non-essential. Barabbas was considered essential. At least he was doing something physically that we can see about the Romans around us. At least he's doing something to usher in what we interpret to be as Jews, the kingdom of God. But this Jesus, he seems to be all talk. He seems to just be a miracle man. He's not essential. Let him be crucified. We want Barabbas. But suppose for a moment that their choice would have been different. Suppose when the crowds looked upon Jesus and they saw Barabbas, the criminal and the robber, that they said, we want Jesus. Crucify Barabbas, but we want Jesus. Suppose that would have been the case. What a quandary that question is for us, is it not? If, if the crowd had said, we want Jesus, are we okay with that here, First Baptist Church? We love Jesus. We don't want him to be crucified. There's a love we have in our hearts for our Jesus. But why do we love him? Because he first loved us. And how did he love us? He became that propitiation for our sins to avert the wrath of God. If Jesus is released here in verse 26, if they say, no, we want Jesus, if he's released, then there's no propitiation, there's no substitution, there's no forgiveness, there's no atonement, there's no salvation. There would be no love for him in our hearts if he had not first loved us by dying for us. So in fact... In fact, when we look at verse 26 and we see Barabbas being retained or being released and Jesus being retained, we want that. And, and not, not in a morbid sense, but we want that because we know what the outcome will be for us. We want him to be rejected. 
As believers, we want Him to be crucified because we need Jesus to be crucified. So Barabbas' release and Jesus' rejection are essential. Unjust as it is, it is absolutely essential. Jesus is essential. And what we need to see in this passage of Scripture this morning, I want you to see, that God wants us to see, is that Jesus' endurance on the cross is essential. That's the main point of the text. Jesus is the essential worker. And the cross is the essential work. Jesus is the essential worker. And the cross is the essential work. We see that in two ways. The essentialness of who Christ is and his cross work is seen in two ways in this passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus' endurance of suffering on the cross is essential. Jesus' endurance of suffering on the cross is essential. This was the message of the, of the apostles. It was the message of Jesus after he rose from the, from the grave. He said in Luke chapter 24, was it not necessary, essential, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory, he said, on the way to Emmaus? In Acts chapter 17 and all through the book of Acts in the apostolic preaching of the, of the early church, Paul, who had once considered the preaching of the cross foolishness, now sees the essential necessity of the cross. And so in Acts chapter 17, it says about Paul's ministry as he reasoned from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. But a blind man, blind spiritually from the essential nature of who Christ is and his cross work, blind like Paul was, cannot see that Jesus is essential and that his cross is essential. Lest God open their eyes like God opened Paul's. Jesus' endurance of suffering on the cross is essential. Jesus endured our mockery. Look at verse 27 through 31. All through verse 27 through 31, a couple of times, it mentions the word mocking. In verse 29 and verse 31, and when they had mocked him, you hear the roar of the laughter of the Roman battalion who surrounded him. If all the battalion was present, commentators say there would have been as many as 600 Roman soldiers, 600 battle-hardened Roman soldiers surrounding Jesus. He'd already been scourged, according to verse 26, beaten half to death with a whip that had pieces of bone tied in the ends of it, his flesh hanging off his body. What a hideous sight Jesus must have been to these Roman soldiers. And they find the claim of this Jewish man from Nazareth, from Galilee, to be ridiculously funny. And so they exploit this opportunity with this Jewish man, beaten as he was, claiming to be king of the Jews, surrounded by these soldiers. They exploit this opportunity for all it's worth. They mock him. They mock what they consider to be Jesus' ridiculous claim to be royalty. Do you hear their laughter as they strip Jesus of his clothes? In verse 28. Do you hear their laughter rise to a higher pitch as they sink 
the crown of thorns twisted together, verse 29, and they put it on his head and the blood trickles down his face. How they must have laughed. How they must have laughed at Jesus as some of the soldiers went up to Jesus, not all of them perhaps, but some of the soldiers began to go up to this now crowned Jewish Messiah with his flesh hanging off his body, stripped down to nothing, except now a Roman robe, his Roman soldier's robe is on his back. So he has his fake robe, he has his scepter been placed in his hand, this stick to be like a scepter of royalty. And they, how they must have laughed as some of the soldiers walk up to him and begin to kneel down before him saying, verse 29, Hail, King of the Jews. What a cruel and sinister kick these battle-hardened soldiers must have gotten as they spit in his face and beat him on the head with the reed they put in his hand as a makeshift scepter. Jesus endured our mocking. Why do you say that, Pastor? Why do you say our mocking? Do you know that God laughs? I hear sometimes people say God's got a sense of humor and they talk about different things and and sometimes blasphemous things. But did you know that God laughs? And did you know that God will have the last laugh at those who mock Him and reject Him? Do you realize that all mankind by its very nature, its default nature, is destined to be mocked at and laughed by God? That apart from God's grace, you will be the one who will be laughed at and mocked at by God. Psalm chapter 2 verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Psalm chapter 59 verse 7 says, There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all nations in derision. And Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 says, Because, as wisdom is personified, because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, Because you've ignored all my counsel and have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. And oh, how terror is coming upon all men and women in this world. A terror that far surpasses tornadoes from last night or coronaviruses, as serious as that situation may be. A far greater judgment is coming, an eternal judgment that will not be quenched. And all mankind is under that wrath by nature. There is none born who lives a a life in such a way that will not be under that wrath of God. That will not be mocked and laughed by God, at by God. But what's happening on the cross and why it's essential is the mocking and laughing by God that we should undertake and experience Jesus is taking that for his church. Amen. Jesus is enduring. He's bearing our mocking, our laughing.
Jesus endured our mocking. Jesus endured our execution. Verse 32 through 35, you see him walking down the streets of Jerusalem. The one through which the entire universe was created. In his voluntary taking on the limitations of human flesh, most likely from the loss of blood from being scourged, was now too weak to carry his cross. Do you see him falling under the weight of his own cross? But listen, what we're supposed to see in these verses is that although he was too weak to carry his cross, and Simon had to be called to say, Hey, you, come and carry his cross. Although he was too weak to carry his cross, he still endured the cross. He still went to Golgotha. He still went to Calvary. He endured the cross. He endured the pain of crucifixion. It says in verse 35, you look at your Bible, it says, When they had crucified him. Crucifixion was a horrible death. We're told in Scripture that they didn't have to. They could have tied his hands and feet, but they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. It was an unspeakable way and a degrading way for someone to be tortured and to die. Where they would pull up with their arms. You've heard this before. They would pull up with their arms and push up with their feet to try to breathe so they wouldn't suffocate as they were hanging there on that cross so their chest cavity would open up. Then they would collapse in exhaustion again, but have to take the strength to push back up to breathe again. And this would go on for hours and hours. And some would eventually die of suffocation and cardiac arrest or loss of blood. And then when there was no reason to prolong the person's death on the cross, the soldiers would smash the victim's legs, D.A. Carson says, so that they wouldn't be able to breathe anymore and they would suffocate. But for Jesus, his legs, as Scripture says, his body was not broken, not a bone was broken. They pierced his side when they found that he had died from his weakness, humbly and humanly. He endured our execution, the pain of crucifixion, and the shame of crucifixion. His clothes, the Bible says, were stripped from him. In Roman law, they wouldn't even crucify a Roman citizen. It was reserved only for the worst criminals and the lowest classes of people. And then for the Jews, crucifixion was abhorred because Deuteronomy tells us, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It was painful and it was shameful and it was considered even to be foolish. The king, the promised king of the Jews, hanging on a cross, rejected by men and cursed by God. 1 Corinthians says we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, folly to Gentiles. Kids, listen up this morning there with your family. I can't see you, but the Lord does. Kids. Do you like getting spankings? Do you like going in time out? Do you like having to do extra chores for disobedience? Well, of course you don't. But suppose you went around the house singing, 
Oh, how I love spankings. Oh, how I love going in timeout. Oh, how I love extra chores. That'd be silly. That'd be foolish. And when it comes to execution, Jesus is the perfect Son of God, but His Father is spanking Him, put Him in the timeout. That's, that's the image here. That's why the cross is considered foolish when it comes to execution. Jesus, the promised King, claiming to be God's, God's King. A criminal hanging on the cross would be like somebody singing, Oh, how I love the electric chair. Oh, how I love the hangman's gallows. As we sing, Oh, how I love the old rugged cross. Well, how foolish that would seem to the Roman culture. Oh, how I love death by lethal injection. How silly the thought. How foolish the sight it would have been for Jesus to hang on the cross in that day. Do you see both criminals hanging their, head, hanging their heads, wagging their heads? The Bible says in verse 44, look at your Bible. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Criminals, one on the left, one on the right, they're the ones that deserve to be crucified according to Roman law. It's criminals like these that deserve to be executed. Those who are guilty of crimes. But Jesus was not guilty of crimes. Judas knew it. That's why he took back the 30 pieces of silver. The Jewish leaders down deep inside knew it. Pilate knew it. His wife knew it when she had a dream about this righteous man. Pilate knew it when he washed his hands before the people and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. He was not guilty of crimes. The only charge against him is in verse 37. Look at your Bible. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. He had committed no crime. That's the only thing they could think to write down as a mocking of him again. He was executed as a criminal on the cross, but he had done no crime. Yet he endured the cross. That's what we're to see. He endures the cross. He's enduring execution. The execution we deserve for our crimes against God. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity. Grace unknown. And love beyond degree. Our sin. Our talking back to our parents. Our anger. Our selfishness. Our dishonesty, our lust, our greed, our pride, our selfishness. As R.C. Sproul says, cosmic treason. For David's confession rings true of all of ours in Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Crimes against God. He endured our execution. He endured our taunts. You know what it is to be taunted, to be teased, so that you respond? Some of you siblings do that to one another. You get the best of each other, taunting each other, till the other one finally fights back. And you all get in trouble. Well, he endured our taunts. Verse 40. Look at your Bible in verse 40. And saying, these are what, this is how the crowd responded. Verse 40, and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Oh, how they taunted him. Save yourself. Don't endure the cross. Save yourself. Verse 42, 
The first part of verse 42, he saved others. He cannot save himself. It's haunting him. Look at the last part of verse 42. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Come on down. If you're the king of Israel, just come on down off the cross. Taunting him. But he's enduring the cross. In verse 43, he trusting God, let God deliver him. Taunting him. Do you see what's being emphasized here? Through the taunts of Jesus to come down from the cross? You see what we're intended to see in these verses of Scripture? The Holy Spirit's inspired here. Through these words of these men who are taunting Jesus. Jesus is enduring the cross. He's not coming down. But he's not helpless. He very well can come down. He very well can still call for 12,000 legions of angels to be sent by his Father. Even now. Can the one who gives sight to the blind not come down from the cross? The one who fed 5,000, can he not come down from the cross? The one who walked on water, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, he's able to come down from the cross. But he exercises the restraint of omnipotence and he endures the cross. He endures the suffering. Though he could save himself from suffering on the cross, he does not, for we cannot save ourselves from the penalty of sin. Jesus is the essential worker. The cross is the essential work. Jesus' endurance of suffering on the cross is essential. He must suffer. It is absolutely necessary. Secondly, Jesus' endurance of separation on the cross from his Father is essential. We've seen that Jesus' suffering on the cross is essential. But secondly, Jesus' endurance of separation on the cross from his Father is essential. Jesus endured the darkness of the Father's judgment. You know what it's like to be out on a day Maybe when the sun's beginning to shine like it is right here outside our windows right now. But suddenly you feel the cool air coming in and the clouds rolling in. And then darkness begins to cover over the land. And you know a storm has come. And in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And certainly there was a physical darkness taking place. But it seems to hint, I agree with D.A. Carson, at the deep judgment that was taking place right at that moment. The darkness of judgment being poured out upon Jesus. A darkness that those standing at the cross, that they could see the darkness moving in, but Jesus could feel the darkness. You ever been in a cave where you could just feel the darkness with no light shining around? They can see the darkness, but Jesus can feel the darkness. You say, why do you say that, preacher? Because he quotes from Psalm 22 in verse 46. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels the darkness of the judgment of God, of his Father. Why have you forsaken me, Father? But there is no answer. Jesus whom the Father loved before the foundation of the world as he prayed in his high priestly prayer, the one in whom the Father said at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is the one whom I'm well pleased. 
But now there's a mysterious break in that eternal fellowship. I say mysterious because we can't quite comprehend it, can we? There's a mysterious break in that eternal fellowship. Jesus feels no love by his Father. The Father looks upon him and is not pleased in what he sees. And so Jesus cries out. And it's a cry of one cursed by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot of shelter-at-home orders in many states right now, and ours included in here in Illinois, at least through April the 7th, by our governor. For our safety and the safety of others, but for our spiritual safety, our salvation, Jesus must not shelter at home. He must not come down from the cross. He must not go to his heavenly home to be with his heavenly Father. He must not be quarantined back to heaven and be kept from the penalty of our sin. If we're to be saved, then he must be exposed to the full brunt of the wrath of God, the virus of sin in which we are all infected. All of our works, all of our good works are tainted by sin and they cannot save us. Jesus alone is the essential worker. Jesus' work on the cross is essential because he is sinless. And on this cross, when he cries out this way, he's experiencing this separation. And the reason that's essential that he be separated from his father is because he must be treated as if he has committed our sin. He must bear our sin. He will not commit sin, but he will be counted as if he had and treated as if he had. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a glorious exchange. Praise God. He must endure this separation from his Father. Jesus must do the essential work. And Jesus' exposure to sin and his endurance to death is essential. His exposure to sin and endurance to death is essential. The people that are surrounding him hear his cry, his quote from Psalm, the Psalm. And they say this man's calling for Elijah. One of the cries recorded in the, another account of the gospel says he, that Jesus said, I thirst. Oh, what a drop of water would have done for our Savior's parched throat in that moment. His dry lips, just a drop of water. Do you remember the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man went to hell and said, Abraham, would you send Lazarus to come and drop a, put a drop of water on my tongue because I'm in these flames and I'm in torment. And he said, no, no mercy for you. No drop of water. So Jesus hanging on the cross saying, I thirst receives no water, no mercy, just a sponge full of sour wine put on a reed held up to his lips to mock him again and perhaps prolong his pain. Remember how the prophet Elijah was carried to heaven on a chariot of horses? Perhaps they're thinking in their minds, swing low, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Let's, let's wait, it says in verse 49. You see that in verse 49? Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Let's see if Elijah comes back on his chariot of horses and takes him back to heaven. But there's no cry by Jesus for Elijah to come. There's no chariot. He's cried out to his father, why have you forsaken him, me? 
But there's been no answer from heaven. There's no 12,000 legions of angels coming and Jesus is not called for it. There'll be no crying out by Jesus for rescue. The only cry he will now make is the groan of death. Verse 50. His cry is the cry of death. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus did not come down from the cross. He endured that essential suffering. He endured that essential separation. He endured to death. And now his lifeless body in verse 50 hangs upon that cross. Jesus is dead. Jesus endured the cross unto death. He had cried out for the people to be shown mercy. Remember from another gospel? Father, forgive Brandon, forgive Ryan, forgive Marcia, forgive Steve, forgive Nick, forgive Tim, forgive Caitlin. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He cried out for them to receive mercy. But there was no mercy for Jesus. And it was essential that he be shown no mercy. Do you see that? It was essential that he be shown no mercy. It's essential that he experience endure separation from his father. This work on the cross by the essential worker was the essential work. His cry of desolation, of curse, of damnation, my God, my God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out that so we don't have to. So I want you to think about these things. What is essential? We've had time to think more about our lives and our activities and our occupations in the past couple of weeks, have we not? What is essential? Families, single adults, what is essential? What are the essential things that we must be doing? What are the essential conversations we must be having? We begin to think about what is essential. We think about our finances and how maybe we need to cut this and cut that because the economy is not looking good right now and so let's just cut out non-essential things from our family budget. Suddenly sports don't seem essential any longer like it does to a lot of folks, right? Baseball don't seem very essential any longer. Suddenly we're coming to appreciate the fact, even though it's really hard and we get on each other's nerves, suddenly we're coming to appreciate the fact that what's essential is really being together as a church. Suddenly what's really essential is being together with my wife and my kids. And not taking that for granted seems to be much more essential than it used to be. I hope we're beginning to process things that way. Noticed a lot of people yesterday when I was out doing yard work waving. I was like, man, people are waving. People don't do that. I haven't seen some of these people wave and smile before. Just changing things. But let's narrow down that a bit, families, young adults, single adults, about what is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. 
even more essential, even more necessary than being together is that you are saved. That you are saved through complete dependence upon Jesus. And oh, how I wish that those who watch this will share this with other people in this community that everyone would hear the gospel. That people would see that you trust only in Jesus. Your whole dependence must be on Christ alone to be saved. What that is essential. That you totally depend upon Christ. The essential worker who did the essential work on the cross. There's a story in the, in the Old Testament about the snakes, the serpents, and went out and bit the people and put venomous poison in their veins. And they were dying. And the Lord provided and said, Moses, you're going to take a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, lift it up before the people and tell the people, if you'll just look at that, <laughs> just look at it, just trust in my provision. You look upon that and you'll instantly be healed of that venomous poison in your veins. But you've got to put total, complete dependence. You can't do anything else. There's, the only thing you could do is trust and rely and look upon what I have lifted up on that bronze, that bronze serpent upon that pole. That alone will heal you. And then, of course, Jesus says, hundreds of years later, just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, the Son of Man will be lifted up. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting light. Life, just look, just depend, trust alone in Christ. Nothing else, don't add to it. Don't blaspheme his essential work on the cross by adding to it with your works. You make a mockery of the cross when you do that. Trust only in Christ. Jesus paid it all. And those who are saved, to those who are believers... My church family, what is essential right now? What's really essential? That you be saved and that you endure. That you endure. That you endure in carrying your cross. Jesus said, a core facet of discipleship that we've been studying about in the Gospel of Matthew, a core facet of discipleship. Whoever does not take his cross, Matthew 10, 38, and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, then follow me. It's essential. If you're a true believer, and you're just not mouthing the words, because other people do that in the American culture in which we find ourselves blessed to live. But if you're a true believer, that you repent, you take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. You endure in the profession that you've made in Jesus and not just mouth it with lips with a heart that's not been touched by the truth that you profess. And listen carefully. Our endurance is not a work that saves us. It's evidence, essential evidence that we are saved. Jesus' endurance of the cross is essential because that is what saves us. 
So listen to these words from Hebrews 12. Therefore, listen. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Why are you going to lay aside weights for when you're running a race? Because those weights are not essential. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. We're not running the race to be saved. We're running the race because we're looking to Jesus who, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen? We're running the race not to cross the finish line and say, I won, I did it. But I'm running the race because he finished it on Calvary 2,000 years ago. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Do you feel weary and faint-hearted? Look to the cross. He endured the cross. He's taking care of it. He's taking care of the thing that could happen to your soul that you can do nothing about. So endure. First Baptist Church, endure. Let me close with this. As I'm preaching and I'm looking out at this almost entirely empty auditorium, there's pieces of paper pinned on some of the chairs out there where folks have sent in notes of encouragement. I've not had a chance to read them all yet, but Miss Marcia brought me to one that was sent by Dan Moorhead. And it says in this message, we are all in his hands. God is sovereign. We are all in his hands. And at the bottom of it, evidently it's a Ford from Dan. It says, all for him, Brenda. And Brenda, most of us will know, a little over a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, was killed in a sudden tragic car crash right outside of town here. But she knew that no matter what, we are all in his hands. And so she signed her emails, all for him, all for him. Till the day I die, whether it be by coronavirus or a car crash, all for him. So I want to ask you, believer, how are you going to endure this week? All for him is essential. What's that look like for you as a family? For you as a single mom? For you as a teenager? What are the essential activities and conversations you need to be engaged in this week as a believer so that what you're doing is essential, that you're doing all for Him? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? As we pray this morning, I would say to you, if you're not a believer already, that, but you believe what's been preached 
you know that you've sinned against God and you're sorry for your sins, then call upon the name of the Lord. Ask Him to save you. Do that now. And if you are calling upon Him, you, you, you believe that God's at work in your life and you, you believe that He's granting you repentance and faith, then tell another Christian about that. Send it, uh, contact our church on our website and let us know so we can follow up with you as well. Call the church building and let us know. Call upon the Lord and be saved. Father, thank you that you're at work in hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would grant much grace to believers to endure and live in such a way that we live all for you. I pray that we would be motivated because Jesus endured the cross. Therefore, let us endure the race set before us for your glory. And we pray for unbelievers that you would grant grace that blinded hearts would be opened to the beauty of the cross and the necessity of trusting only in what Jesus did on the cross. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So sing with us this closing song, and then one of our deacons is going to come and pray for us as we, after we sing.
indescribable love that you creator master worthy of of everything that is good you've come down and died in our place thank you so much Lord please help us to be emboldened by the truth of this gospel, knowing, Lord, that we are, we are free in Christ. We are no longer under condemnation of sin, Lord. You've paid it all. Please help us to not look at the cross um, in some cultural, just minimal understanding of what actually took place there, Lord. I fear that so many of us sometimes just disregard how significant the cross really is. Please, God, help us to understand. Put it in our hearts, Lord, that we would just be joyful and, and rejoice in knowing that Christ died for our sin. Lord, please help us to go out and share this when possible. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.